Boy, boy. Show me grace. Amen. Show me grace. Show me grace. I need to see your hand, Lord. Mm-hmm. I need you to guide me. I need you to guide me. Gideon didn't have a Bible. Come on. So he had to have Look, something different. You need God to guide you. I think it was probably Charles Spurgeon. He said, he who guides his own affairs is guided by a fool. Come on. Amen. He who is guided by his own affairs is guided by a fool. Meaning if you guide your own affairs, you are guided by a fool because you're a fool. If you guide your own affairs, you better go to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 where he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not upon your own understanding and acknowledge him in all your ways and he will direct your paths. But if you guide your own way, you're being guided by a fool. Yeah, no doubt. We're seeing that with what we're reading about Abraham and Sarah and those situations around them. Anybody that took measures in their own hands did something foolish. And that trouble continues to linger to this day. To this day. To this day. Every step that those people took in that day, you're talking about 4,000 plus years ago, every step they took, that they manipulated the circumstances of their own way, we're still dealing with it today. Still dealing with still talking about it today. Yeah. Uh, we see the ramifications of it. That's why they say Santa cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. Right. Take you further than you ever wanted to go and keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And everybody's prone. Everybody, even the greatest of faith, operated independent of the Lord, but we know the consequences and the result. Thankful we don't get everything that could be out of that. God in his mercies has stayed the, the judgments and the wrath of many things, but no doubt we still see so many consequences of it. Even after Israel got in across the Jordan, mm-hmm. Country and yeah. Everything. They made a covenant with them, and they found out that they were just down the road. The Gibeonites. Gibeonites. Mm-hmm. God says, "Okay." And I, what even up through Saul? All the way. Against the Gibeonites, and God said, "Uh, uh-uh. you done made a covenant with them, and you got to got to keep it. You yeah. sworn to your own hurt." That's right. They had heard what was happening. They was killing everybody to run them out of the land. God had given that to them, so therefore. They said, well, how in the world can we not be part of that number? Well, they come up with a plan. Let's disguise ourselves as if we're from a far country. So they put on old ragged clothes, took old ragged wineskins, stale bread. Everything they had in appearance appeared as if they'd been on a long journey and they were going to come and be friends with them and stand with them and help them and need their help. And they didn't inquire of the Lord. They didn't ask God. They took what they could see and operated in what they could see. They operated in logic with what was before their eyes. And God didn't intervene. He didn't step in and say, hold on. Why? Because he already did. He already had. It was up to them 
to look to him. Well, they didn't seek him and operated in, in the flesh. And as a result, they reveal who they are. Yeah. Say, man, you tricked us. And then God says, you've made a commitment to them. Now you have to fulfill that commitment. Now, the only way you can't kill them and the only way they can stay so, uh, alive is they got to be your servants now. They can go get your water. They can do all this for you. But now they're always going to be around you, serving you. But you're not going to kill them like you will the Amorites or the Hittites or the Hivites. You're going to keep them, but they can only serve you. Now, if they don't serve you, that's on them. But this is the agreement. Well, down the road... King Saul, we're talking about hundreds of years gone by. King Saul decided in his zealousness for Israel that he was going to kill some. And he did. Well, about 15 years later, a drought shows up. And the drought's going on for three years. And David sought God's face. And God told him, as he would, he said that the drought is a result of what Saul did some 15 years prior and how we treated the Gibeonites. So God said, well, David said, what do you want me to do? He said, Saul's family is going to have to pay the price and go find the grandsons of Saul and give them over to the Gibeonites and let them deal with it. So they killed them, then hung them out in the sun as a curse. And the scripture says, God took those steps as steps of repentance and he opened up the heavens and it started raining again. So it's, I mean, you're talking about years later that would ha another generation would have to deal with the folly of a father yeah. or a grandfather. You, you follow with me? And so you're talking about hundreds of years down the road and then uh, years after that, as the scripture says, be sure your sins will find you out. And you're going to reap what you sow. And thankfully for Jesus, amen. Because if we had gotten what we truly do deserve, it would be hung on a cross and uh, for our transgression. But somebody else hung on the cross for us. So all these things are fascinating when you study them and you see and that God is true to his word. He, he does what he says he's going to do. That's why the New Testament says, look, God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And you sow righteousness, you'll reap mercy from the Lord. You'll reap it. In the midst of reaping some bad stuff, because you've been sowing bad stuff, you're going to keep reaping that bad stuff. But if you start doing it God's way, God will start bringing harvests of mercy in your life while you're still reaping the ugly. Because we want to help people. Because they think, well, if I do this today, everything's going to be okay tomorrow. Yeah. Well, everything may not be okay tomorrow. You may still have trouble in your marriage. You may still have trouble in this and have trouble in that. And you may have trouble with that for a while now. Because for the last 10 years, you've been sowing all this bad seed. Yeah. Yeah. That bad seed's going to come up. But see, if you start doing what's right, now you're going to be able to distinguish between what God's doing and what you've done. Yeah. And you can recognize it. But see, if you don't know that principle, all you see is what you've done, but you attribute it to what God's not doing. You follow with me? Yeah. That puts people in position to say, 
well, what's the use of doing what's right if I'm, if I'm still having all this trouble? Why am, I, why am I doing all this? I might as well go back to just doing what I've always done. But when you help them recognize this was your doing, not God's doing. Now, this is happening. This is God's doing in your life. And we can help people see that. And, uh, and for us, we've got to recognize that. In our own journey, okay, this is the result of what Nick has been doing, what I've been planting, what I've been sowing, the choices I've made, I see the evidence of it, but man, I see what God's doing too. And eventually, eventually, if I don't keep sowing that bad seed, eventually the good seed will overcome it. It'll overcome it. That's in Hosea chapter 10. Hosea chapter 10, around verse 12 or 13. Uh, look at it real quick. Hosea 10. It's just one of those that you want to remember. Hosea is a tremendous book that reveals a wayward nation doing their thing, but God remained faithful. And eventually, the nation, Israel, over, it still hadn't happened yet, but it will happen. They're going to realize how faithful God's been and how good he really is. But they're still like Gomer, who keeps going back to harlotry. Yeah. But one day, they're going to realize, hey, he's really my husband. He is who he says he is. He is the one, even though generation upon generation upon generation upon generation of Israelites have died and perished, there's going to come a generation who's going to see that he is who he's always said he was. But that's Hosea 10 in verse number 12. So for yourselves, righteousness reap in his mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. That's where it all began, seeking the Lord. When you seek him, you sow his seed. You break up ground for his seed to be put in it, not your seed anymore. Till he comes and rains righteousness on you. You see, now you have his mercy. God can rain whenever he wants to rain on you. It may take a little bit before the rains come. With Saul and David's situation, we saw, what, three years worth of drought. But when they sought God, they heard from him, they did what God told them to do, God then started raining on them again as a result of their obedience. Notice what he says in verse 13. You've got to couple it together. You've got to bring the, it in. For you in the past have plowed wickedness. That's been your seed. And you have reaped iniquity, lawlessness, rebellion, wickedness. Remember, God has a principle. If you sow a seed, you're going to reap like seed. You sow bad seed, you get bad fruit. You sow good seed, you get good fruit. You don't put blueberry seeds in the ground and get apples out of it. It just doesn't work that way with God. Every seed has its life in it. And... The earth itself, the soil itself, has been designed by God to birth that seed into fruit. And just like our lives has been designed by God to take words and thoughts and principles, we take it in, and whatever we take in and cultivate, it's going to produce a harvest out of it. And if you take it in the wrong stuff, what do you get out of it? 
a bad harvest. But if you take it in the right things, you get a good harvest out of it. I was thinking about these verses, I guess, maybe Thursday. Mm -hmm. And you are fixing to go to fallow ground. Brand new place, yes. And us men, as being the men of the church, mm -hmm. need to pray for you and Stephanie that y'all plow up fallow ground and it be fertile and grow the seed of righteousness right, to right. the people. Yes. <clears throat> because you've not been there before. Well, that's what the fallow ground is. is yes, ground it's ground that ain't been unearthed yet. Yeah. Hadn't been broke up yet. That's right. So you've not yeah, we've not, prayerfully, the community, the church, the faith family there have been breaking up and sowing good seed, but still we're going and going to plant new stuff. Yeah, yeah. Nothing new, everything's old, eternal, not a new thing, but God's thing. Yeah, yeah. And so we need to be praying for y'all. Amen. As y'all go to plow up, plow Amen. Yes. That's a God thing. Yeah. Putting that in your heart. Yes. Look what he says. I'm going to read that verse 13 again. You plowed wickedness. You've reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies. Yeah. Well, when you eat the fruit of lies, the seed of that fruit lands in you. Yeah. It, it, that's the picture. You took the seed of that fruit and put it in the ground, and that's what you got out of it. Well, you've been eating lies, so now you're reaping lies because you trusted what? In your, what we just say, what did Spurgeon say? Yeah. A man who guides his own affairs is guided by a fool. You've been foolish. You put trust in your own ways. And see, that's what, we're going to talk a little bit about this idea of putting trust in the wrong thing uh, when, when believing gets muddied or gets complicated or hard. It's, it's not God that makes it complicated or hard. We've made it complicated or hard because we've added something to it. We've brought in another viewpoint to it and we've clouded the waters. He ain't clouded the waters. He's pretty clear and pure and clean in what he does. He says in the multitude of, you've trusted in your own way in the multitude of your mighty men. So here, here's the idea. You've put confidence in your army yeah. and not me. You put confidence in your salary, not me. You put confidence in your insurance, yeah. and not me. You put confidence in that which is new, yeah. and not me. You know, you put confidence in your physician, yeah. but not me. There's always, see, that's a lie. Yeah. No matter how mighty that army is, putting confidence, trusting in them is a lie. He'll tell you you need a doctor. He'll tell you you need this. Mm -hmm. you need, he'll direct your path to whatever you need. He will. But you need to go to him first instead of last. That's yeah, as a way of life is the idea, as a way of life. You can, you can put all the confidence in the world that when you know as a way of life you seek God first, you could rest assured he's going to take you and lead you where he wants you to be. Yeah. Now, if it's something you do haphazardly, you something you do 
uh, only when you find yourself in trouble or you do something from that perspective. It's just here and there and everywhere, but just every so often you do it just to make yourself feel better, but not really seeking him. You don't have confidence God's leading you in this path. But if you seek him, he will shepherd you. He will ensure he takes you right where he wants you to be. And you, you keep seeking him, and then God's going to give all those indicators. He, he'll frustrate you in your spirit if you're not where you're supposed to be. Well, why is he frustrating me? Because I'm not seeking him. I'm not doing what he's given me to do. Because if I'm seeking and trusting him, he's going to give me a peace that goes beyond understanding. He's going to keep me and guard me in perfect peace. That's a promise from him. But if I'm unsettled and I'm having a difficult time with this, I'm the one who's muddied the, the waters because I'm still doing my thing but not really seeking him. Because if I'm seeking him, he's promised I'm going to find him. Yeah. And when I find him, he's going to shepherd me. Yeah. And what comes with that is peace, a settledness. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. You still got to go through friction and resistance and troubles but he's refining you you would rather him do that in your life to make you more like jesus than have nothing in your life that's not shaping you to look more like jesus it's just how god uh, works so what he's telling them verse 14 therefore torment shall arise among your people a torment is a cry because you've been putting confidence in the men and not me Trouble is on the horizon, and you've been going through the trouble. Torment is going to arise among the people, and all that you've trusted, your fortresses, shall be what? Plundered. While you sow righteousness and reap mercy. Do you notice that? Verse 12 says what you start doing but verses 13 and 14 are telling us what you're going to also see happen while you sow in righteousness. You're going to have to deal with the repercussions of feeding your heart with lies and there's coming trouble. But you still got to do what's right in the midst of the trouble. And eventually, others are going to join you. And when they start joining you and you in it with them, y'all going to be able to recognize God's goodness and you'll also be able to recognize, recognize man's folly. And you'll stick with doing what God's given you to do. The scriptures tell us again and again, God knows those that trust him. Amen. Even when terrible hardships come, he knows those who trust him. And we're going to have to suffer along with those that are suffering. Amen. We just won't suffer the same way they suffer. There's going to be a different kind of suffering, but you still got to face the same things everybody else is facing. That's right. You're going to face the same things America's going to face. It's a drought. It's going to be a drought for everybody. Everybody. But what are you going to do in the drought? Right. Will, God, will God sustain you in the drought? Will God keep you in the drought when everybody else is suffering through the drought your ideas of the drought are different than what everybody else is going through in the drought and he tells us that when a drought comes he will keep you in the midst of it why because you entered the drought trusting him you walked into this trusting him and you're going to walk through it 
trust in him. And God's going to do things for you that he's just not going to do for everybody around you. It's just not going to happen. And we then, that's where discerning comes in. You discern why people respond the way they respond in the drought. Amen. You discern why, because put it this way, a drought of the land never comes before drought of spiritual famine that comes first. You see, you walk through a, a time where people were spiritually in a drought before the physical drought ever comes. And that's where God's people that are trusting him, even though people around you are not trusting him, they're in a spiritual famine. You are being refreshed by the Lord as you walk through. He's watering you. When he's not watering them around you. Therefore, you're going to stand out as different. You're going to be marked differently in the drought. And uh, it just, boy, it makes all the difference in the world when we're not looking to ourselves. One of the problems we see with Abraham, when he entered in a drought and he went down to Egypt, the scripture says that he looked at his wife and says, behold. The word behold is... I need you to see something that I see. Yeah. What do I see? I see the men killing me for you. But God had already told him, Abraham, I will bless those that bless you and I will curse them that curse you. He took his eyes off of the promise and he put his eyes where? on himself, on his circumstance. Amen. Now he invites his wife to see something that she never would have saw had not he suggested it to her. Right. Just like Eve in the garden. She would have never saw that the tree was good for food. Because God told them the tree was not good. Even though they had good fruit on the tree. Right. It also had bad fruit. But even a good thing without God in it is a bad thing. Amen. So God was not in what Abraham was doing. He invites his wife to join in with him in this. Now what she does is that she submissively followed his guidance, but she ultimately put her confidence yeah. in the Lord. And she trusted the Lord. We know that because Peter tells us that. Look over in 1 Peter 3. We'll see. That's why taking the whole counsel of God, why it's important for us to know it, then we can see things that are just not manifested to us in the book of Genesis or in Exodus or in these other books. But 1 Peter 3, look what he says. 1 Peter 3 in verse number 1. This is the picture here. This is what this is about. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. And we know the word submit means to be under orders, that your husband has an order, you have an order from the Lord, and you together are on mission. You have a, a mission. Therefore, as a result, you surrender to that mission with the order that God's designed to your own husbands, that even if some husbands do not obey, as Abraham did not obey, they without the word may be won by your conduct of the wise. Verse 2, 
when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, not afraid, but properly placing God in the right priority of your life. That's the idea by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing of gold, putting on fine apparel. That is, don't, don't manipulate the circumstances with your physical body. Let God do something in you in your heart. Verse 4, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of the Lord. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who what? Trusted in God also adorned themselves, being under assignment to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him what? As her brother. As he asked her to do. That's what that means there. Yeah. What, not my husband, but my Lord. And the Lord meaning he has authority over me. As my brother. So if you come to me, you got to go through my brother. And the reason she did that is because, remember, he says, I need you to see something you can't see. What do I see? I see the men killing me for you. You're beautiful. And they're going to want you. Well, if they find out you're my wife... All they got to do is kill me and they got you. My brother, they'll let me live. So he's preserving his own life. It's about him, right? Amen. So he put his wife in a compromised position, though she was his sister. She was his half-sister, but he, she was his wife. She called him Lord as a brother, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. You see, that's the picture. She was not afraid. She operated in the fear of the Lord, trusted God, submitted to him, and God took care of Abraham and her. Now she's going to do something. Y'all come on in. Come on in, girls. Now we've seen where she's done something foolish. Yeah. She's going to say to Abraham, she's going to say, Abraham, see me. I've not been able to give you any children. But I've got a maidservant over there. Yeah who's young, spree, and ready. You take her as your wife, and she'll bear children in my household, and it'll be my child under my roof. Yeah. But see what she says. She said, see. Abraham, now you got to see what I see. What do I see? I can't give you children. Only logical way this can happen is that you got to take Hagar and have children with her. Well, Abraham saw what she saw. And Abraham had relations with Hagar. And as soon as Hagar was pregnant, now she who saw this perfect solution to her problem in her eyes, now Hagar is a problem for her. Automatic. It led to trouble. Then she mis started mistreating Hagar, and Hagar's what? Ready to run off. And God told her, I see you. I hear you. You're going to have a son. Now that son you have is going to be a wild man. He's going to be a problem for everybody. And Ishmael turned out to be a problem. Remember, he was a problem for Isaac. And he's been a problem for Israel ever since. And he will continue to be a problem for them because, look, they saw something. 
took logical, manipulative means, and that only led to more trouble. And we're still dealing with that trouble today. Come on. We're still dealing with it today. And because they operated off of what they could see. No different than Hosea when he said, hey, you trust in this big military power you have. Your confidence is in them. And as a result, it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt. Other people can operate that way, but not my people. Amen. They put their trust in me, not in what they have. These other nations, they count on their numbers and their power and their might, but not, not my people. I hold my people accountable to trust me, trust me, and not it. Because I can win wars with a small group of people. I don't need a military power might. Amen? Amen. I don't need that. Well, to God be the glory. Faith, we've got to operate in it. Amen? Amen. Amen and amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you today.